only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Ask not what your country can do for you. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. If you're watching the show, you know by now that we are a very conservative household, and uh, we were both raised with conservative, uh, right-leaning values, and uh, a lot of that, you know, is the typical uh, a stereotype, you know, pro pro-life. Um, you know, we're very very anti-abortion um, and things like that. We are very. Uh, you know, church oriented. So we we believe that our church should have a 501c3, that they should be separate from the government. We are very pro Second Amendment. Yeah, pro Second <laughs> Amendment. We are very con- constitutionalist, and and it's it's hard to argue that the Democrat Party right now, and it's I, I mean I don't want to alienate people because I mean if there's some people in our audience that are left leaning, like I praise you for watching our show and what and right. you know listening, like. And I think there's room for that. And, you know, we could have a cordial discussion with left-leaning policies. We're not anti-left. I, I want to make that clear. But it's hard right now in the last, I would say, you know, the last two Democrat presidents, it's very hard to say that the Democrat Party is pro-Constitution. Right. I, you, you, for anything from signing executive orders to uh, bypassing Congress to everything that you can imagine like just just disregarding amendments totally in the Constitution right. so it, it's hard it's hard to say that you are uh, that a, a Democrat politician is pro Constitution right, right now it's very hard to find those um, so laying those things out um, why do you think it's important important that uh that we share our conservative values and we share our uh, ideals and uh why they are closely aligned with the biblical values right so yeah there's a lot to dissect there uh i think that it's extremely important uh as conservatives to share our values um first off because i i do believe that morally um that the conservative values are are definitely uh, aligned with with a good moral compass, um, biblically speaking, you know. Um, but just generally speaking, morally, I feel like that is one of the reasons that we are so conservative. And it, and and it's funny because you say like you know we're conservative, and that's been a big part of our upbringing. I feel like. It, it almost is a, a very um, solid part of my identity, mm. so to speak. You know, like I'm the kind of person that just like walks outside and I'm like, yes, like I love living in this country like this. It's I love being in, in this free place. I love being in this place where uh, my, m- you know, people who have come before me, my my father and my brother, my grandfather, they, they have served our country and they have kept me free. And I love being able to just live here and and be in that there's such a a patriotic aspect to being conservative and i think that that's super important i see a, a lot of young people these days that are like i'm embarrassed to be american i can't even fathom yeah. being embarrassed to be an american i i mean i just i love this country so much and it's not to say that the country is perfect by any means and it's not to say that uh there aren't bad things that happen in america and it's not to say that even there aren't 
um, you know, really sly politics going on or anything like that. It's, it's not to say that, but generally speaking, this country is free and we fight for the rights of people. We, 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 look, uh, we look for those who are down and out and we try to help them up. Um, that's, that's something that is just, it's such an inherent part of, of who I am, you know, mm. just being a, an American and being free. And I think that really lines up with the conservative values that we carry uh, in this household. But I think, you know, in, in the party itself, in the conservative party itself. So I think it's really important to talk about these issues, to talk about things, because I think that when we stay silent on issues, uh, when we stay silent on things, especially like um, like abortion, when we stay silent on these things, not only do do facts get misconstrued, um, you know that that as a as a conservative who is pro life, that we are anti women's rights and that we um, don't believe in in freedom of of our own bodies and things like that. Not only do those facts get misconstrued, but I think that it allows people that are are louder that that talk really loud, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, to kind of. It embed their opinions and those around them because they're talking so loud, because they're yelling, because they're yeah. because they're really reaching out with what they're saying. And when we sit quiet, it allows that kind of uh, atmosphere to to increase. It allows that kind of atmosphere to to grow. And so then what we see is like an indoctrination of our children because they all they're hearing is this behavior from uh, from people who really have anti-conservative values, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and they're they're yelling the loudest and they're speaking the loudest and they're doing the most talking. And because of that, you're just seeing this generation rise up that really has no moral fiber. You know, these young people that are, are graduating high school and they have no concept of, of moral value. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's one of the reasons why it's so important to be vocal and to be active yeah. uh, in your community with with what you believe. Um, I think I, to, to bounce off that... Um, I I think that when when we are vocal it kind of it kind of balances and kind of brings people back to some sort of central location because not only do we see this loud minority mm-hmm. of far left ideals and big government I think that still today majority of Americans don't want big government right um but it seems like that's the, that's their only option because that's all they're hearing. Right. Um, but I think that when as conservatives, you know, uh, have a louder voice and they do speak up, it prevents things like re- redefining terms. I think right. that's a big problem that we have mm-hmm. in our political sphere right now is redefining of terms. Right. Like you've seen everything being redefined like racism, uh, mm-hmm. other things like... Um, oppression and uh rights i mean we were talking about women's rights i mean that it like even even if you take it to the most like current thing with covid you have uh uh fauci on cnn saying that um that you have to mask up as a vaccinated person because you're in uh you're infringing on the right of somebody not to be sick like i I mean like that's that's not that goes against the definition <laughs> the very definition i think so um so like if we if we continue to allow these voices to be the only ones heard then eventually it's going to redefine our whole society right. as a whole right and i think that allowing uh, allowing things to go so far um really kind of it, it brings it more to uh 
like a, a confrontational point where it, it could be where things are solved because we're talking about it, because we're discussing it, because we're debating it, because we're saying, you know, this is the positives of, of, of what I believe. And then they're saying, well, this is the positives of what I believe. And you're coming to this understanding, talking to, uh, to somebody who, who believes differently than you or who thinks differently than you. Instead, what happens is people stay quiet for so long that it kind of bubbles up and mm-hmm. then it comes to a, like a confrontational head. And I think that we're starting to see that happen in, in America. You're starting to see a lot of people who are just at this point, they've heard so much. Um, they've heard so much liberal garbage, so yeah. to speak, that they're they're like they're getting to the place where they're just saturated in it and they're so tired of hearing it that they're starting to to push back aggressively. Yeah. And I think that that's really it's an unfortunate side effect of not speaking up. It's an unfortunate side effect of not holding on to and and really fighting for the rights that we have in this country, for the freedom that we have in this country and for the moral uh, the moral behavior that we want to see out of out of our country. I, I think that that's an unfortunate side effect of that. So you're starting to see people, you know, I can't even uh, think of how many times in the last few weeks that I've heard somebody say like, we're, you know, the, the, we're, we're headed for another civil war. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's, that's a scary thing to think that we have come to a place where the, the, the liberal voice has, has been yelling so loud that the, the Republican and conservative voice is starting to feel like the only way to solve this problem is going to be through physical confrontation. And that's unfortunate because we should be able to talk to each other. We should be able to say, this is why I believe that women should have the right to abort babies. And we say, well, this is why I believe that those babies have a right to live, you know? And so that, that is an unfortunate side effect of, of staying quiet. Yeah. I think we've allowed, uh, a competitive, I, I guess, it's not a competition, but for lack of a better term, we've allowed the competitive edge to be uh, to the Democrats or to people who right. don't think like us because we've allowed them to have the platform. They, they've right. had the platform. Right. So they can say that we are not pro-life because we're pro-war. Right. And we we don't believe that the women have a right to choose. Um, right. Stuff like that. Where, where our arguments aren't even being heard. Right. We're just told what we're thought, like what our thought process is. Right. And right. what we believe is being narrated by the other side. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I and I get that a lot, um, you know, especially especially being pro-life, because this kind of seems to be something that we brought up a couple of times. But I get that a lot from uh, people that I know who are who are pro-choice. And uh, one of the things they say to me is like, well, what are you doing? What yeah. are you what are you doing to make America a better place so that these babies have like a safe, a safe place to be born into? Uh, and 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 my response to that is, first off, it's 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 not your business. What I do, um, what I do, I do unto my God. I do yeah. unto I do for for um, for my God because of the standard that he holds me to because of what he calls me to. But I also do it. For uh, for my church, for my community, for my family, mm-hmm. um, but I certainly don't, don't do, it do it for, for recognition, recognition. Yeah. right? So um, so I I never think that that's really anybody's business to say. But in the same respect, um, if y- if you are pro choice, you're pro choice for a reason. You think that um, something is wrong. For instance, Simone Biles came out uh, just this last week, and she said that. She's pro-choice and that if you think about adopting, if you're considering adoption, remember that the foster system is is incredibly corrupt. It's messed up. 
Yeah. And, and, and she says, I know that, you know, coming from someone who's been in the foster system. And to me, that was just such an ironic thing to say, right. because I'm like, how can you as an Olympic gold medalist, somebody who is arguably the best gymnast in the world, who has come out of adversity, overcome that adversity because of opportunities that you were given to live, yeah. to be alive. Um, and you've overcome the adversity that you were born into. You overcome the adversity that you you lived in, and you have made something incredible of yourself. So, such an ironic statement to me to say I'm pro-choice because I come from the foster system and it's really corrupt. Um, but to me, if you're a pro-choice person and your problem is the foster care system, what are you doing to reform the foster care system? What are you doing to change that that system? Are you are you uh, are you fighting for? For cheaper adoptions, yeah. are are you are you fighting for programs that allow parents to learn and to change their their behaviors? You know, uh, and and it's and it's crazy because a lot of kids spend uh, years and years in the foster care system, and it's not necessarily because the system is corrupt, but it's because their parents won't sign away their rights yeah. to those children, and so they can't get them back. But those kids also can't be adopted, and that's something that we've seen um, that I've seen a lot personally with with friends of mine and family members of mine who have adopted out of the foster care system and it's been a year's process so instead of arguing for aborting these babies these babies who you know now we know as great family and and great friends of ours instead of aborting these babies let's talk about how we change the system that we have so that these babies get adopted into homes with people who want to raise them and who yeah. want to be with them. I think that's know. a the uh if you know the this topic abortion I think is a is a a perfect topic to kind of tie together what we're what we've been talking about and how it's it's gone far far too long with the other side um having a voice right um so it, it to the point where you can justify killing a human life because they might have trials in right. life like, right i mean it, it just think just if you let that sink in some people justify abortion just because of the circumstances they might be born into right. and, and and to me like if you just have a five minute discussion of the other side you can bring that back and and you say, you know, come come back toward the center a little bit. Like, I right. mean, we can argue whether or not government should intervene in abortion. I mean, that's a that's a that's a civil argument that we can have. Right. right. But saying that, oh, it's justifiable because of the circumstances you might be born into. Right. I mean, that to me is just so far from reality and so right. far from the sanctity of life. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that that kind of uh, is a is a good time to talk about how conservative values uh, line up right now, uh, as we see in our political climate right now. If you were to line yourself up politically with biblical values, it would definitely be more toward the conservative side right. than the uh, left side or the liberal side. Right. And why do you think that is? What are some of the conservative values that we have that line up with the Bible? Well, I think... Um something that's extremely important to us as conservatives uh, that you see biblically is um, is marriage. Yeah, uh, I think that that's that's something that uh, is ignored a lot in today's society. It's funny because one of the things that I kind of like to do is I'll I'll jump on um, our our local news station and I'll just see like the the births mm -hmm. uh, of of uh, babies born in our area, 
throughout the week. And it's incredibly uh, common to see half or more than half of the babies being born, uh, being born to families that are not married, mm. to, to couples that are not married. And I, and I think, you know, that is, is such a crazy trend to me. It's not something that you would have seen, you know, 20 years ago. 20 years ago, all of those births, you know, or, or a majority of them would have been to married couples. And I think that um, the sanctity of marriage is something that's extremely important to us. The value of marriage, the value of having a two-parent household, the value of having a father in the home. Um, those are all things that that we are very passionate about, but also um, is is a, a biblical uh, mm. aspect for us. It's something that's very important to us religiously, but it's also something that's very important to us in our political beliefs as well. The sanctity of life, which we've already talked about, that's a really important value to us. It's an important value because it is it is, it is God's right and only God's right to to take uh to take life, right? Yeah. So so that's an important uh important value to us. I think that um morally uh, integrity Integrity is something that is is important to us. It's it's something that uh, I think that you see really a lot out of conservatives when we see uh, a politician who represents us behaving unbecomingly or doing something wrong. The first thing we do is call it out. We're yeah. like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, we expect more out of you. You are a conservative politician. We expect you to stand up with this moral fiber. We expect you to stand up with this backbone. We expect you to behave yeah. with integrity. So, real quick to to contrast that, um, to play devil's advocate, how how do you how do you uh, justify us going after somebody like Andrew Cuomo, but then um, still legitimize uh, former President Donald Trump? Well, I think you have to look at the difference in the situation. And 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 first off, I like disclaimer, I want to be clear that me personally, I, I don't like Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. um, I think policy wise, he was a fantastic president. I think most of the things he did uh, as far as policy is concerned, as far as far as upholding the Constitution, as far as uh, even placing constitutionalists into the Supreme Court, those are all things that I value. And I think that Policy-wise, he made one heck of a president. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, he did more for Israel than most uh, presidents have done in recent history. Um, he did more for the black community than than any president has done in recent history. Uh, so I think that it's very important to note that, that policy-wise, he was a great president. But personally, I don't really think he's that likable of an individual. I mm -hmm. think he is very arrogant. I think he is very... Um, he has a, a very... Uh, rich boss mentality. And I think that that, that, that conflicts a lot with, uh, with regular people. I think that conflicts a lot with, especially with the moral character that, that we have as conservatives, because for us, it's like, well, how dare you say that, you know? Mm -hmm. But I think it's important to note that much of the things that Donald Trump got uh, kind of a, a lot of flack, uh, or, yeah. flack for, or a lot of, uh, a lot of negative feedback for, were things that he said years ago. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's important to recognize that as, and, and you've even talked about it on the show before, that as our society changes, so does what we find acceptable to say, the jokes that we find acceptable, the terms that we find acceptable, um, even, you know, even things that were such common terms when I was growing up, you know, it, it, you know, just 20 years ago when I was a, a kid, there were terms that we use that now, if you say people are like, oh my gosh, how could you say that? That's mm. not a term that we use anymore. That's not an acceptable thing that we say anymore. 
So um, I think it's important to note that what what he was doing as far as his behavior towards women or his um, his speech towards women, uh, a lot of that happened a, a, a while ago. It's not they, it wasn't something that yeah. happened like. You know, during the election process. It was baked in the cake. Right, right. Um, And so when Donald Trump started running for president, we knew that that's who he was. Mm -hmm. And we knew that that's who he had been. And we also saw the change in his behavior from 20 years ago when he was making those statements to now. Um, And and I think it's also important to note that the things that he said, uh, those particular things that I think we're kind of alluding to that he said, uh, particularly when it comes to women, those things were said far before he ever even, you know, was running for office years yeah. and years before he was running for so office. So what's that fine? What's that fine line? Because um, it, it, it's kind of it's kind of funny because you said that, you know, policy wise, Donald Trump was a heck of a president mm-hmm. and President Biden is now getting a little bit of flack for saying that Governor Cuomo, as a governor, was a hell of a governor. <laughs> so how do you, what's that fine line of, why Why would something like saying like that would be not really kind of tone deaf to the situation, but saying that right. President Trump was a, was a heck of a good president? Right, so I think that the biggest difference is that what Cuomo did, he did while in office. Yeah, He was not, it, it, these are not things that he did 20 years ago and they are just now coming to light. And he's like, listen, I've made amends. You know, I've changed my life. These are not things that happened, you know, years and years ago. These are things that happened while he was in office. So while the hardworking taxpayers of New York were sending 20% of their paychecks to pay for his massive salary, he's sexually assaulting women. And I think that that's the biggest difference, that he did these things while in office. And I think also it's easy for President Biden to say that uh, Cuomo was a heck of a governor, you know, our Emmy-winning governor who is sexually assaulting women on the side. He was was a, 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 or a, so to quote, a hell of a governor. Um, I think the reason it's easy for him to say that is because he doesn't have to be a taxpaying New Yorker. (laughs) So I think that it's really easy to kind of form that opinion when you're not part of the when you're not part of the pie that's being baked. When you're when you're not part of the situation, it's easy to make that kind of assumption that he's been a good governor. And and for the most part, he he has had a high approval rating in New York. But most of that high approval rating has come, unfortunately, from our big cities. Mm -hmm. And if you look at really anywhere that is like your blue collar, hardworking, um, you know, middle class uh, New Yorkers, you're hard pressed to find somebody who is a Cuomo supporter. And uh, and I think that it's important to note that as nice as our cities are, um, which is an ironic statement because I'm not a big fan of our (laughs) cities here in New York, but, um, you know, it's it's great that we have these big cities and that we have um, people who are a part of those big cities. But I think it's really important to note that the the backbone really of New York is our 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 blue collar uh, individuals, yeah. and it, it's the people who are are plowing our our roads and who are laying down salt. It's our people. It's the people who are out there every day who are uh, in our in our military. You know, we have our our. Um, our military base here. It's our people who are out there every day, just serving in those in those really those blue collar jobs. Um, 
that's yeah. what keeps really the state moving and the state right. going. Our 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 nurses, you know, our it's not like our nurses are getting paid a ton, but let me tell you, we have some some great nurses here. You know, the, these are the people who are the back backbone, I believe, of right. the state, and no. it's very yeah. hard to find those people who are Cuomo supporters. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think it's more of those hardworking blue collars that keep America like we say we say New York tough. Yeah, you know, we say that here. Um, and those are the kinds of people that make New York tough. It's not right. It's not Sally who's trying to, uh, you know, do something in Broadway, right. on off Broadway in New York. I mean, right, right. I, I love New York. I don't get me wrong. I love the city. I love the opportunity that you can get in New York. But mm-hmm. I honestly think that if you contrast New York, especially the city, now, twenty, thirty years ago. Like, I mean, when we had those conservative values 20, 30 years ago in New York, where you could actually do whatever you wanted, it was a city of dreams. It was the mm-hmm. city where you could make something of yourself, where it's it's kind of hard to do that now when right. uh, when landlords can't even make ends meet because they don't right. get any money from their tenants. So, like, right, you see yeah. kind of, like, the opposite of uh, kind of New York being flipped on its upside down now and right and i i think that kind of goes back it's it's funny i think that goes back to what you said earlier is there any room for socialism in the conservative party and i think that that uh new york is a great example of why there's not room for socialism in the conservative party because uh, i think it's as as christians and as conservatives it's very important for us to help those around us mm-hmm. um it's it's really important for us to donate to our our soup kitchens to donate to our our clothing closets to reach out to those that we we know of that are in need, and in fact, at any time, um, you know, that we personally hear about a situation, the first thing we do is, you know, how can we get involved? Like, how can we help? Um, because it's important to us to note that people fall on on hard times, that people go through situations that sometimes it's their fault and sometimes it's not, and it doesn't really matter. What matters is that we, as Christians, that we have, as conservatives, reach out and we help with that. And I think that when you take that away from the American people and you put that in the hands of government through the form of socialism, um, it it makes people first off inactive. They'll say, well, why should I help you when you're receiving benefits from the government? Why should I help you when you're on WIC or you're getting food stamps? Why should I help you when you don't have to pay for your own health insurance? You know, why should I do these things? It it makes people it makes people become inactive because we feel like what's happening. Someone's already taking our they're taking our resources already and then they're handing it out in a way that we don't we don't really like. Um, So I think that that that's a, a great reason why socialism is so unacceptable in, in America and in the conservative party, because it's not the job of the government to offer handouts. It's the job of everyday Americans to reach out and hand up. That's such um, a good point. I think as like uh, you hear one of the main arguments, people that are typically not Christian who are either atheist or agnostic or whatever, they say, how can you be a Christian and be against socialism? Because socialism helps everybody. It's for the benefit mm-hmm. of everybody. But the thing is, is like you bring up such a good point. I think socialism has, I mean, we've seen it throughout history, but just take it for what it is. It has the opposite effect, right? right? Because if everybody's getting handouts from one central location, that means nobody's helping each other. Right. That means all the helping is coming from one place. Right. So there's no obligation for you and me as Christians to reach out in our community, to have a soup right. kitchen, to have like right. a clothing closet, 
because everything is being distributed already. Right. So, like, it leaves no room. It mm-hmm. leaves no room for us to be uh, the Christian that we're called to be. Right. And we've seen that it, even in our local local community. You know, yeah. we've seen that when we've held um, when we've held events, when we've held food handouts and giveaways and things like that. And you see not as much participation as you would expect. And that's because uh, government is already meeting the needs of people. Government yeah. is already coming in and meeting those needs. And what happens is that pulls us away from each other. Mm-hmm. We're no longer as people connecting with one another. We're no longer we're no longer uh, being a part of one another's lives. We're no longer changing uh, the situation for one another and being mm-hmm. there for one another. We say like, oh, if, if you need help, you know, what's the first thing I hear from people, uh, especially like on, on, on Facebook, you know, does anybody know someone who can help with the situation? The first thing I see is government intervention. Yeah. Have you contacted this program? Right. Have you contacted that program? And to me, that's so unfortunate because what they should be saying is, have you reached out to the local churches? Yeah. You know, and so now we've come to a place where people aren't reaching out anymore, where people aren't becoming a part of uh, each other's lives. And I, it's, it reminds me of a story that my, my dad has often told of a family who moved into uh, the area that he lived into as a kid. And uh, the the pastor, the, the pastor of their church uh, got wind that this family was in desperate need. And when he got there, they were so destitute that they were they were feeding their children dog food because wow. that's all they had. Um, and the local church stepped in and they and they quite literally changed this family's life. Mm-hmm. And and that's what we should be seeing. That's yeah. we should be seeing that. Not um, do you need food? Have you contacted your local government assistance? Yeah. It should be, have you heard about the food pantry at this church? Have you heard about the the clothing closet at this church? Have you heard about what they're doing to make a difference in the community? And so as conservatives, and especially as Christian conservatives, we're standing there ready to reach out and ready to help. And socialism is stepping in and saying, hold on, just give me your money and yeah. I'll take care of it. Right. And that has really caused a rift in our community and really a separation of us as people, as as a people coming together as a community. Yeah, yeah. I, and I totally, I, that's, I totally agree. And I think that um, it, it's, it's so hard to even think about, I mean, I think that people who are pro-socialism and pro-communism are are so short-sighted because they don't understand how it can be used against them. Right. And um and the the Bible's very clear about uh about government and how, you know, we give uh what we owe to Caesar. Right. But we're supposed to be the hands and feet. Right. We're supposed to be the the ones because we have that accountability. Mm-hmm. So right. like if we if we give everything to our government, if we give everything and rely on our government to take care of everybody's needs, mm-hmm. they don't have that accountability. Right. It right? absolves us from our responsibilities. Yeah, they, right. they don't have they don't have the the it's it's not like it's not like Fidel Castro had a Bible next right. to him and he was like, okay, God, how can I use all the right. money that was given to me? Right. It's not like we as as taxpaying individuals are standing there like, uh, excuse me, how are you using this money again? Yeah. You know, no. Once it's once it's in their hands, it's in their hands. And we lose our responsibility as, as individuals in our communities. And then uh, they have no responsibility because yeah. there's really there's really nobody there uh, that can do anything about it. Once right. Once the government has your money, they can... Use it for gender 
education in yeah. Pakistan. I, I, think, <laughs> you know? I think the data, I mean, if you use other nations as an example, and people people just combat that and say, well, it wasn't implemented the right way, or, you know, the power was corrupted and things like that. Well, I mean, you can use even more data and more points to prove that the other way is better, that right. free market is better. Because time and time again, over the course of our free market system, conservatives and Republicans have always contributed more mm -hmm. to uh, to non-for-profits, to charities, yes. time and time again. And yes, it's because, and, and that and that you can uh, you can you can look up and prove. <laughs> yeah, you can look up and <laughs> this prove. Is, this is not and, like facts. We're just like yeah, you know, it's pretending. Not, it, it's not to put us on a high horse. Right. No. It, it's no. it's to it's to show what our motives are and what our right. values are. Right. Where you know, if you tend to be left leaning, you're like, okay, well, if I just pay my taxes, right, then they'll be then my money will be put to good use. I don't right. have to give to a charity. Mm -hmm. Where you know, we've seen the our, especially our government. Our government isn't going to be any better at socialism than any other government. Right. I mean, they, they can't even ensure Social Security is going to be right. <laughs> there for us. So I, uh, why, I don't know why you would want to instill and entrust our government with that. Right, especially when you see, like, uh, so much so much back and forth with our government you know like it just it's you wake up and you're like i wonder what side of my president i'm going to get today or i yeah. wonder what side of of politics you're going to get today and and you see that you know you go back a few months ago and kamala harris was saying joe biden shouldn't even be considered as a candidate for president because of his sexual assault allegations from women right. and then a few months later she was saying i'm honored to be the the vice presidential nominee for him and he's going to make a heck of a president and you're like Really? I mean, yeah. what, what what changed other than the fact that you just got picked for a VP? You know, so I, I think when you see so much back and forth in the government, how can you even possibly de depend on them to be honorable or to use your resources in a way that's going to benefit the American people? And, and, and that's something that's so scary because a lot of our resources are being used to benefit uh, American politics versus American people. And yeah. that's that's unfortunate. Yeah, it is. It's very unfortunate. So um, kind of uh, our overall topic here that we're talking about in this segment, how, what are some other um, biblical values that line up with uh, being more of a constitutionalist and conservative, um, even though, our, you know, our ideas and principles aren't perfect, per se, um, but how do they how do they more line up with the biblical viewpoint than the other side? Well, I mean, like, in 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 what way? Like, what what? So I so thinking. I guess um, so I guess that if I was to take like the the First Amendment of the Bill of Rights, you know, the freedom of press, assembly, and mm -hmm. speech, um, how how is that idea more aligned biblically than suppose uh, limiting speech and uh, cracking down on hate speech and stuff like that? Well, I mean, I personally, I think that one of the the big themes of um, Christianity, I don't know if, if theme's the right word, but one of the big things for me with, with Christianity is that uh, freedom is, yeah. is kind of the basis of, of everything. Um, we're talking, you know, freedom from, from uh, freedom from what we, what we struggle with, freedom from um, any kind of strongholds or things that hold us back. You know, we're talking about freedom from sin. Uh, so I think that a big, a, a a big part of being a Christian is really celebrating and walking in freedom, and I think that that is echoed through our conservative values. 
through our um, belief in what the Constitution uh, says. So it's very important to us to have freedom. It's very important mm -hmm. to us to have rights, to have those things um, available. You know, whether we choose, you know, you can you can say I choose not to be a gun owner, but yeah. you have the right and the freedom to own one. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a that's a, a big part of being a Christian is that you can choose to walk in freedom yeah. and you could choose not to. But it's always available for you. It's yeah. always there. And I think that that's a, a big part of how our, our uh, belief really kind of bleeds into our politics. Yeah. Uh, yep. I agree. And um, also further, um, I think that our biblical viewpoints and our biblical values need to be uh, involved in our political values. So, right. um so what do, what do I mean by that? I mean, uh, like for example, I take I take Sodom and Gomorrah as an mm -hmm. example, um, where you know that the Bible lays out exactly the things that were gone wrong and why God judged them, mm -hmm. and a lot of those things can be tied to political viewpoints, right? right like right. the like allowing homosexuality and bestiality and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, those are immorality. Immorality. Right, right. Those policies were put in place by you know, the people there, and right. it, it created a corrupt society. Right. Um, so that's why you see kind of uh, uh, the whole purpose of this show and the whole purpose of why I started this was to kind of intersect those two things. Right. I think that, you know, you've got to have your political and biblical values kind of intersect. Right. Or whatever you, you think your faith is, you know, mm -hmm. it has to intersect. Your morality has mm -hmm. to intersect with your political values. Well, and and I think that, and and I know that you've said this uh, before on the show, but if your moral values don't come from God, then they are they are constantly changing. They mm -hmm. change with society, and that is a dangerous place to be because morality doesn't actually ever change. The yeah. law of God, God is consistent. God is just. God is. Um, God is not changing. And so when you when you take a moral a moral value and you base it on anything that changes, and really, I think the only example of a of justice that is unchanging is God. I don't, yeah. I don't think you can see that example anywhere. So it's else. like the gravitational pull, right like right? So like if we if we if we think of God's morality and God's morals and values as like kind of like the the center right and we're kind of like in orbit around it right we're constantly being pulled back to that mm -hmm. as christians right because if we if we allow ourselves to drift if we just follow our own instincts if we follow right. what we want then we'll we'll be far off we'll be right. in a different galaxy <laughs> right and and that's why that's why the basis of your political views always needs to have that moral moral ground that um that moral firmness in God because it's not because he's not changing because yeah. his expectations of us don't change because times change his expectation of us doesn't change because humor changes or because laws change his expectation of us is steady it's yeah. a standard and upholding that standard and living to that standard uh keeps us morally centered it mm. keeps us from from one day waking up and saying you know what this thing that I thought was wrong for so long actually is okay. That's not to say that there's not compromise in some of our political beliefs. I mean, even you and I have had 
uh, political discussions before mm-hmm. where we've heavily disagreed on something and then we've we've talked it out, we've shared our sides with one another, and and sometimes we've come to a really good compromise, and other times we've still said, yeah. you know what, we're just gonna have to agree that we have different opinions, and it's and and it's not always a, a life changing you know thing. It's yeah. not like always a huge deal, but sometimes there's just things that we won't always agree with. Uh, one another on but at the end of the day because we have that moral backing the standard of Mm -hmm. our of our morality is the same so so we're not going to look at each other and disagree on the sanctity of life because Mm -hmm. our moral standard stays the same so i think that that's why it's it's so important to have that you know when we say uh, that god it's in god that we trust like Mm -hmm. that needs to stay there it's it, it is it is in god when we say one nation founded under God, like those are things that we personally believe, but that yeah. politically you have to have because without a, without a, an unmoving standard, without a steady standard, your moral fiber becomes compromised every time you're confronted with something. And especially if you, if you don't know, if you don't know your moral value, if you don't know the standard that God presents uh, it's so easy to say, wait, why do I, why do I disagree with this, or yeah. why do I agree yeah. with that? Um, because we haven't founded ourselves in that unmoving place. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think it, I, I love it that you brought up the fact that we, you know, that our motto forever has been in God we trust, mm-hmm. and um, I think that's so important because America is such a great place where that that. In God we trust, that could still mean something to you, even though right. you don't have a belief in God. Right. You know right. what I mean? So, like, I, I mean, I, I don't want to kind of uh, diminish our, you know, worldview or right. anything like that. But it, you can have a different worldview and that right. still relate to you because right. of the consistency. And that was the mm-hmm. whole point of the Founding Fathers and the whole yes. purpose of the conservative party is that, look, we're not trying to enforce our religion on you or our beliefs. Right. But what we're trying to do is build a nation based on these morals right. and ethics that are rooted, that are grounded, that are never changing. Right. And that's how you have stability. That's how you have free enterprise. Right. That's how you have the freedom to be who you want to be. You can be an atheist and reap all the benefits of that morality. Right. So. Something I, I remember going to in college uh, because of the, the community that we live in, uh, there was a... A Thomas Jefferson impersonator. He like uh, he he you know dresses and then he talks and yeah. he kind of like overviews uh, the life of Thomas Jefferson, but from the perspective. So he says, you know, I Thomas Jefferson did this and, and believe this and so on and so forth. Something I learned about him in that um, in that performance is that Thomas Jefferson was not actually a Christian and he did not believe uh, in God. However, he did keep a copy of the New Testament with him and he read the words of Jesus because he believed that the moral character that Jesus presented was so uh, was so good that he wanted to to live his life and 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 policy wise mm-hmm. act by uh, what the words of Jesus were. So even though he didn't actually believe in God and didn't believe in Jesus as as the Savior as the Messiah as we do, mm. um, because of the moral character of what Jesus said, he still kept that word with him and would read that and meditate on that. And I think that that's really important when you say that. Uh, we have this moral ground, and it's not to say that we're forcing our Christianity upon everybody, um, but it's to say that this this morality it's based on something that is honorable, and it's based on something that is steady, um, and everybody can benefit from that. Yeah. Everybody can benefit from living a life with more integrity. Yep, exactly. Yep, that's great. 
So, uh, kind of switching gears, but still along this topic, um, is there is there room for we've kind of toted up and puffed up our our beliefs and our <laughs> conservative values? What are some areas on the other side of the aisle that we could kind of uh, be be okay with and that are kind of like there's there's no wiggle room so like uh like i mean we've already talked about abortion we think that there's there's absolutely no wiggle room for that like right. well, there's no compromise that kind of that's kind of like a gateway of kind of being the anti-morality that we're talking about mm-hmm. um but what are some other viewpoints of the left that can kind of help us be brought back to the center without drifting too far to the right Goodness, it's hard to say because the leftist is so it's so far so far gone at this point that it's not it's, organized right it's now. It's right. It's it's really hard to say. Well, I should say it's organized with their coalition, but right. as far as like their policies are right, ever always right. ever changing. They are, and and that's I think why it's really hard to say specifically this is a policy or a, a behavior that they have that we can really compromise on because you really don't know what. Uh, what identity of liberal you're going to get yeah. for the day. You know what yeah. I mean? So um, it's really it's really hard to to point that out because it is it is ever-changing and it is ever-moving that it's really hard to say, well, this is for sure going to be their stance um, because more than likely by the time you've figured out their stance, they've already taken it a step farther. And so it's, it's really hard to... Um, to say that, and that's not to alienate the liberal community. It's just really hard to find something that they are are standard on um, that we could say, well, in this area, it would be we could talk through a compromise. Um, I know that it it, it compromises not beyond uh, what we believe, and even it's funny, like even uh, something such as the war on drugs is something that I've even compromised my opinion on mm-hmm. um, just from talking to not not just uh, other, not just talking to other conservatives, but talking to people who are not conservative. Um, my opinion on the the stance on the war on drugs has changed. So it's not that our uh, our ability to, to change or to um, adjust our opinions isn't there. It's just really hard to ki- kind of know, I guess, what uh the the liberal morality of the day is in order to say specifically this is a, an area that we could yeah, compromise and it, in. it's more it's more of the problem of like the political leaders and the and right. the people who have been elected right um i think that if we were to have uh a conversation with the everyday liberal thinker i think right. that we could have a lot of compromise right right and we can meet in the middle but i think uh like kind of like going back to bring it full circle what we talked about at the top of the show i think that we we've allowed the the left to go too far left mm-hmm. you know i think that you know there was a time where uh the the left has introduced uh a a, a political program or a governmental program that has kind of worked in the short term mm-hmm. where conservatives wouldn't have done that if it was just up to them right but now I think we're living in a time where I think the left has gone too far left, that the mm-hmm. conservatives need to actually do something, not just fight, but to actually stand up and to kind of bring people back to the right. center. Right. And I think, you know, to kind of like really uh, drive home like what what I'm saying as far as the 
the Liberal Party just keeps going farther and farther is, you know, if, if you're talking five years ago, uh, boys were boys and girls were girls. Yeah. And now we've come to a place where boys are sometimes girls and girls are sometimes boys. And then we've come to a place where um, actually sometimes they're not really anything. And now we've come to a place where uh, we've got recommendations that there shouldn't even be gender on birth certificates because kids should be non-binary until they can choose what they want to be, yeah. which is not only uh, it's not only contradicting of of uh, of science. It's not only contradicting biology, um, but it contradicts it contradicts morality. It contradicts God. It contradicts how he made us. Do you think God got confused when he made you a boy or he <laughs> yeah. made me a girl? Of course he didn't. God didn't get confused on that. So, um, and that's that's where we mean the the moral fiber is always changing. So it's hard to say, you know, could we compromise on on an, a certain issue? Well, uh, can we? Because we don't even know where the stance is today. And and who knows? Tomorrow we will all be walking around as they thems because it'll be illegal to use he or she you know so it's it's really hard to say uh really uh, how fast it's changing how fast the uh the 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 behavior of the left is changing it's really hard to say where we're going to be tomorrow you yeah. know um but i think that yes i think you're right when you sit down and you talk to um, you know, individuals that identify as Democrat um, or identify as liberal, I think that you can come to a place of compromise. I think you can come to a place uh, where they say, you know, I understand that um, and where you can say, I understand where you're coming from. And then you can talk about the benefits and the because I think at the end of the day, a lot of your everyday, you know, I'm not talking your your politicians that have grown up in your your in the political field or your generations like your your bushes and your cheneys but i'm talking about um your everyday average american who identifies as a democrat or or even a liberal um i think they at the end of the day they want good things for other people yeah, yeah. and it's just that we disagree with how to get those good things and even sometimes what those good things are. So when you can sit down and you can have a conversation and you can say, the reason I don't agree with government intervention is because I think it's our responsibility to intervene. I think you can agree on that. I think you can come together and you can say, how do we as individuals intervene in our community? You know, So I think that you're right. You can sit down and you can have these conversations with one another. And I think it's important that we start doing that. Yeah. You know, that we start doing that because it's it's not about just what our, our, our government tells us it's not about just our, our elected politicians, but it's about how we as Americans interact with one another and how we as Americans yeah. identify with each other. I think that's a good point that you make is that I think that uh, both sides have been uh, guilty of this where they make their political ideas kind of like their identity right. where they have to align at a side. Um, and there, yeah. And there's no if I compromise with you, it changes who I am. And that's not necessarily true. Yeah. You know, there are good there are good I think that extremes of any kind um, are are almost always a failure. Yeah. They're, they they extremes of anything are almost always a, a bad thing. So I think that it's it's very it's a bad thing for us as conservatives to say, well, there's no compromise or there's no room for compromise because there is room for compromise. Yeah. Um, there is room for disagreement and there is room for being able to come together even though you disagree. Yeah, and and. I think it's important that we come together as Americans and not come together as, oh, here are our political leaders. Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. So, like, I feel like a lot of people, like, uh, like point to a person or point to a group mm -hmm. of people or a coalition that they identify with and say, these are my, these are my people. Like, these are, these are who represent me. No, right. like, I, Americans need to come together with other Americans. Right. And right. I feel like 
our political climate, we've just allowed our politicians to just duke it out. To be an identity for us. Right, right. Absolutely. I agree with that.